church. It is great, genuinely great to see you all this morning. It's great to be surrounded by friends and family and loved ones. No greater thing, is there? And, you know, that's what we find in church. If it's your first time this morning, can I welcome you? Because pretty much everyone here this morning, apart from Tina, is Tina, Tina's in, yeah? It's your, been your first time at some point of coming here. So we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We've all come here for the first time at some point, unless you were the one that started the church like Tina. So if it is your first time this morning, I just want to welcome you. I want to tell you really, really welcome. And I hope you find what you're looking for because it's here. It's here. It really is here. It's here. And hopefully this morning, I just want to share with you some of how you can find what you're looking for, what it is that you're looking for, and why it's so important. Um, I've mentioned a couple of times recently, I'm teaching my daughter to drive. Um, I'm not going to focus on her, but what what I have realized is how things change Because when I was young and I was learning to drive and I started driving, I I was thinking back on it. I I literally drove, I drove around like I was invincible, if I'm completely honest. If I look back on it, I literally used to drive around like I was invincible. Like I had some kind of cloak or shield around me of protection that no harm could ever become me because... I don't know what, I don't know what I was thinking. And it wasn't that people didn't warn me. You know, driving instructor, parents, you name it, would tell you how important it was. And some of the things, I mean, I've drove this like, I mean, I'm not trying to make light of this like it's something you should do. But I've driven along the M6, having a shave on the way into work. I've had literally, I think I counted up at one point, not recently, because my license is clean and I have not had an accident in many, many years. But I I think I counted up. I must have had about 35, 36 points on my license over the years. I have been a really bad, bad driver in years gone by. Literally, I have broken the speed limit and you name it and done all kinds of things. But now I'm teaching my daughter kind of poacher term gamekeeper. That's the the kind of thought to have in your mind. So I'm teaching my daughter and, and I'm kind of... I'm literally, I'm constantly telling her to slow down and to be careful and I'm telling her about the hazards and I'm telling her about, you know, I, we, we came, we were going through Frodsham yesterday, took on a lesson yesterday and, and the, you know, the sign with the car and the skid marks, you know, and, 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 and I'm explaining to her why that is because you're coming down a hill and there's a bend and, and I'm saying how dangerous that is and I'm telling her about the ice and you name it and I'm warning I'm telling her all the things that I never took heed of and I'm desperately praying, please listen to me, don't do what I did. Please don't do that. Part of me doesn't want them to drive, to be quite honest. I'm thinking, I don't want my kids driving. It's too dangerous out there. Anyone know what I'm on about? Anyone? Yeah? Oh, man. I was reckless. I, I literally drove around like, like there was no tomorrow. And I, I just didn't realize. I didn't know. I didn't get onto the... And, and I, I've had accidents about accidents, and it's when you have those accidents that suddenly you start to realize, isn't it? Anyone know that sound of crunching metal and breaking glass? 
It's horrible, isn't it? I was trying to explain this to Sophie, and was saying how dangerous it is. And, and, and I, was, you know, I'm trying to explain that, listen, you know, you just never want to experience that feeling of having an accident. It's horrible. It's not nice, and it's obviously dangerous. Um, the reason I'm telling you all this, I'll just think about something for a minute. Imagine you're driving along as a passenger. In fact, imagine you're driving along as a passenger of me 20 years ago, okay, and you sat there and you're desperately holding on to, the, to that thing at the side, you know, and it's, you get, your grip's getting tighter and tighter as this reckless driver, he's driving along, and, and we're driving through some country lanes in a place that you know well, maybe it's in North Wales or something like that, somewhere where the, the really sharp bends and things like that, and, 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 and you're kind of explaining, you're saying how there's some, some hazards ahead that are really, really dangerous. And this reckless driver at the side of you just will not listen. He just doesn't care. And he's just carrying on like he's got some invincibility shield and, and everything's going to be okay. And he's just, he's taking these corners like there's no tomorrow. And you're sat there, and it, it's, it's not so bad when you're the driver, but when you're the passenger, it's horrible, isn't it? And that's going on. And you sat there, and your grip's getting tighter and tighter, and you're getting concerned. And then suddenly... He, he flies past this, this police car at the side and suddenly you see it and you see the blue lights behind as the police car starts to, to, to follow this other car. And think about the difference between you and the driver. You see, for you, those blue lights are great, aren't they? You're like, okay, he's slowing down. I might just live. I might be okay. For the driver... It's completely different. Those blue lights are like, oh my goodness, can I get away from them? Can I, can I avoid this? Maybe they're, they're for someone else. Maybe they're not, not for me. It's completely contrast, isn't it, of the effect that those blue lights have. For you, the great and the, the salvation. For the driver, the judgment and retribution and punishment. And then, you know, if you think about it, for me, chatting with, with Chris this morning, and we were talking about just the, the, the grace that God has shown. The absolute grace that God has shown. He was saying about how he, he wouldn't be here today had it not been for what God has done. That when he comes to church... The feeling is just one of such gratitude and thankfulness. Talking about things that he's done and, and, and wrongs that he's done to other people. And, 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 and constantly, all the way through this conversation, we've had this conversation many times, haven't we? And my part is always the same. You're not alone. You're not alone. We're all in this boat. We've all done it. We've all, just to different degrees. Just to different degrees. And what I'm getting across is here, why Christmas? Why the story? Why the nativity, the, 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 the Christmas story, the story of Christ being born is so special to those who have sat in that passenger seat, to those who have known the dangers ahead. And maybe you were the driver once. Maybe you were driving your life and not, not aware, like you had some invincibility shield on your life and no harm could ever become you. Like you had no idea of the dangers ahead, even though people were desperately trying to warn you. 
Maybe you've had a, f- a friend or a family member and you've seen that situation and you've had that concern for them like others have probably had for me. And you've kind of, you've seen it and you've desperately wanted them to know and their eyes have been blinded to it. They've not known. They've not had any awareness. They've not had any understanding of, of the dangers ahead, of what lies around that next bend, the potential problem that's, that's coming. It's a ticking time bomb. Maybe it's like there's a ticking time bomb in the boot of the car. And you know it, but the driver hasn't got a clue. And oh, what them blue lights. Aren't they great? Because you know that they are salvation. Isn't that Christ? Isn't that Christ? You see, for me, I lived my life like I had an invincibility shield, like no failure, no, no harm could come to me until it happened, and, and then I'd be all remorseful, and then I'd just kind of carry on again like nothing had happened. But eventually there came a point where it kind of came home to me, and I realized, and I understood. I finally got it. I finally realized the danger, the potential danger that lay ahead. I started looking at my life. I realized that there was a God. I realized that one day, one day I'm going to have to stand before him. One day I'm going to be stood there in front of him, the judge, looking over my life. I know how wonderful those scriptures are. How beautiful it is, that word, Savior. That word, Savior, 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 because we can't save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. When those blue lights flash and they're coming for you and you know you've broken the law and you know you've done, nothing, you've done something wrong and you're banged to rights as they say, what can you do? What can you do? The only hope then is mercy. The only hope is mercy. And you know our judicial system, I don't know if you know this, our judicial system is set up so that it's an advocate system. So you've got the prosecution and you've got the defense. Then everyone who goes to trial, everyone who goes to trial, they are all advised, desperately advised, do not defend yourself. Have an advocate because you cannot defend yourself. You cannot defend yourself. Oh, how we need an advocate. You cannot stand before God and defend your life. You cannot do it. Don't even bother trying. You are guilty as charged. I am guilty as charged. Oh, how we have all sinned. Oh, how we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Because the standard is perfection. The standard is perfection. Listen, I doubt very much that many of you in here have have been as reckless as me with your lives, right? Because I have been truly reckless at times. So I'm sure that most of you, not all of you, because I know some of you don't, I'm joking. I'm sure that most of you have been far, far better than me. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. In fact, Tina's testimony, I remember telling me years ago, years and years ago, and, and she said that 
her testimony was really that uh, she, would talk, she talked about a time when she was walking in the snow to church, as, as I recall it, and she probably doesn't need, maybe she doesn't remember telling me this or whatever, and, but, but I think her sister had gone, I think Stella had gone, and, and she'd heard, and maybe I'm not getting this story spot on, but, but the gist of it is that she had this feeling that she hadn't really done much wrong, she'd been a pretty good person. She wasn't some great sinner, she hadn't been reckless with her life or anything like that. Yet she still knew she needed a saviour. She needed a saviour. We all need a saviour. Whether you're over at that extreme of, of recklessness and, and, and you're just looking at your life and it's in a mess, you know, or, or you're at the other extreme and, and you're almost perfect. I, I, there's some people in here and I look at you and I think, wow, you're so good. I'm so, I'm so like, I feel like I'm, I'm nowhere near your standard. I'm kind of over there. And you've got it all together. And, and some of you are young and you've got it all together. I'm like, wow, my goodness, how, how do you do that? How have you done that? Well, some of you in here this morning, you know, I know there's some of you in here, and, and, and God, I was praying this morning, I was getting the word together, I had this, I, I, this urgency, this sense, I had to share this, that there's some of you in here this morning, and, and you feel like you've spent your life running. Not constantly, but running, running from things and failures and situations. I mean, situations in your life where you've messed up and, and you've got it all wrong, and your answer to that has been just to, to run away from it and move on to the next thing. Next relationship, next person, I don't know, whatever it is. You know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. It's slightly irrelevant, but, but your answer to it has been to run and to move on to the next situation and, and just close the door on that one and, and there's nothing you can do about it now and it's just gone and it's broken. And, and, and you're left with this sense, this sense that there's something wrong, that this is not right, that you've, you've left this trail of... For me, it would be a trail of destruction. I'm hoping that's not the case for you. But like this trail of destruction behind, of, of, of messing things up and wrecking situations and then just think of knowing there's nothing you can do about them and, and just having to move on to the next one and to the next one and to the next one. But there's a deep down feeling inside that you don't want to do that, that you know that's not right. You desperately don't want to do that, but you just keep finding yourself in that situation where it's just gone wrong again and you don't know how to fix it and you feel like you can't fix it it. I want to tell you there's hope this morning. I want to tell you there is hope this morning. You don't have to run anymore. You do not have to run anymore. If that is you, if, you have, if it's you, you're the one that's got that feeling in your life, you don't have to run anymore. You do not have to run anymore. Christ has come. He has come to save you. He is your saviour. He is your saviour. It's the blue lights coming, but they're not coming for judgment. They're coming to rescue you. They're coming to rescue you from your situation. Listen to what the, the Bible says. In Ephesians 2, Paul says this. He says, once you, I could put the word I or the letter I in there. I could literally replace that with I was dead. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Dead. Dead. Walking dead, essentially. I know the films love that phrase, don't need a walking dead. Sounds so glamorous. But literally, that's what Paul's on about here. He's on about the walking dead. 
Everyone else, to everyone else, you appear alive and, and everything is okay. And to you, you're putting on a brave face and it all looks fantastic. But deep down, you know, deep down, you know the death that is within. And why? It's because of your disobedience and your many sins. Because of my disobedience and my many sins. The trail of destruction that's been left behind. It says you used to live in sin. You didn't just sin, you lived in sin. Your life was sin. It wasn't that you occasionally sinned, it was sin. You lived there, that was your address. I live at number 72, Sin Lane. I don't know, whatever one you want to call it. Sin Avenue, Sin Close. Sin City. <laughs> That's where I'm from, by the way. Liverpool, it's something you know it has. <laughs> Listen to what he says next. Just like the rest of the world. Just like the rest of the world. You see, the enemy, the devil, he wants you to think that you were alone. He wants you to think, this is how he works, right? Let's just unveil him for a moment, okay? He wants you, he's desperate for you to believe that you're alone, that no one else is in the mess that you're in. Now, you know that other people are in a mess, but what he tells you is he says, yeah, but you know your situation, and you know yours is far worse, don't you? And you go, mm, and you start to feel that. And he, he tries to make out that for whatever reason, he's desperate to make you think that your situation is worse than everyone else's. Anyone been there? Yeah? But, but, but my, I'm unique. But that's not what the Bible says, you see. The Bible says that's exactly the opposite. It says that's a lie. The Bible says that's, that's a lie. That is an absolute lie. Paul says that there is no sin that anyone has been tempted by that's not common to all. To all. What a frightening phrase. Think about that for a moment. There is no sin that anyone has been tempted by that is not common to all. Oh, how we love to judge. How far are we? How, how wrong are we? How far off the mark are we? He says, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. You used to live in sin. Paul's talking to Christians now. You used to live in sin. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people who have been saved, redeemed, who found their savior. And he says, you used to live in sin, all of you. He doesn't say some of you here. He doesn't say that. He's, he's not flowering it up. Sometimes you'll hear me. I use this phrase a lot. I was talking to someone about it last week, and I do it on purpose. I don't say all of you. You'll very rarely ever me, hear me say that. I'll tend to say some of you, and I'm doing it on purpose. I'm doing it with a pinch of grace, because you ever sat there, and someone goes, yeah, you're all this, or you're all that, and you sit there, and you think, you used to tell me what I am. <laughs> you used to say to me that I'm this or that I'm that. But Paul's not pulling his punches here. Paul's not sugaring the pill. He's not sprinkling it with grace. No, no, he says, all of you, every single one of you, all of you lived in sin. That was your address. That was where you lived. He goes on to say, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. I mean, these are pretty harsh words, aren't they? 
the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And he uncovers him. He says, this is, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He is the spirit. He is the one. He is the one at work in their hearts. The heart is the seat of your values. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about where your values are stored. We're right and wrong, what you believe in. What you believe is, is truth, is right. So what the enemy is doing, what Paul's saying here is that the enemy is at work sowing lies into the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, deceiving them. All kinds of deceptions in there that this is right, that that is right. The classic line from the film, greed is good, things like that. He's sowing all that in there. It doesn't matter. It'll never happen to you. All these kinds of different phrases and stuff like that. All these lies that the enemy's sowing in there to deceive people. And that's who it is. He says all of us. As if to emphasize the point again, all of us, he says at the beginning of verse 3, all of us used to live that way. Not some of us, all of us, all of us. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, our flesh, our flesh. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. In other words, not by what you did. It was not what, it's not what you've done that brings about God's anger on you. It's your nature. It's your nature to be sinful. That's why we can't save ourselves. It is impossible for man to save himself because his nature is corrupted. It was corrupted in the Garden of Eden, and it can never be... Saved again, if you like. It can't be changed. That can't be undone. The only way is by Christ, is a Savior, to come and to pay the price. Even the Christian, Paul says, even the Christian who is saved, okay? The Christian, the believer. It's not that your sinful nature just goes and disappears. It's not that you don't have it anymore. And we all know that. Anyone got annoyed? Anyone got angry? Anyone got frustrated with someone? Any Christians in here ever sinned? Any? So it's not that suddenly the sinful nature's gone. It's not that suddenly we're like, oh, I'm, suddenly I'm perfect now. I've got this halo over my head and I never get anything wrong. That's not it. It's going. It's going. It's going. It's going. Oh, it's going. It's going. We're not to just, that doesn't mean we just live in sin and we just carry on. That's not what he's saying. But it's going. It's going, it's on its way, it's going. No, we fall, we rise. We go from, not from defeat to defeat, the Christian goes from victory to victory, overcoming to overcoming to overcoming to overcoming. Come on, until one day we finally arrive in heaven. One day we finally arrive there, and then we will put on righteousness, perfection. I know that in, 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 theologically we already have it on now. And that covers us. That saves us this side of eternity while we're still messing up and we're still working it out and we're still getting it together. But one day, all of that's going to be gone. All of that turmoil and anguish of, of trying to get it right and trying not to, it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. We will see him.
face to face as he is. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that? By our very nature, it's our nature. That's why we're subject to God's wrath. The enemy over and over again wants you to think it's because of what you've done. It is not because of what you've done. It's because of who you are. It's because of who you are. And I don't say that in frustration at you. I say that in Paul talks at times. I beseech you. I beg of you. I beg of you Christians. I beg of you church to understand it's not what you've done. It's not your actions. It's your nature. Don't, don't get caught up in trying to change your actions. Focus on him. Follow him. He'll sort all that out. He'll do that for you. If you stay close to him, he will do it. He will change you. It's his grace that changes you. That none may boast. That none may boast. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. That Christ was born. On a night... Nearly 2,000 years ago. Yeah, anyway. Just over 2,000 years ago. Sorry, it's nearly 2,000 years since he died, isn't it? I've got it wrong way around. Forgive me. Over 2,000 years ago. On a night. And you know, I was thinking about Mary. Mary was expecting. She was one of the few who was actually expecting the Savior to come. Now, don't get me wrong, I know that this had been prophesied for thousands of years, but no one was expecting that night the Savior to come. Mary and Joseph may be, but it's almost a pun, isn't it? Because she was expecting, and she was expecting. She knew, the angel had told her, It all started that night when Gabriel came and he told her, he told her what was happening. The Savior of the world will be born to you, to you. In the middle of Bethlehem, in the middle of nowhere, in a a country that wasn't really that significant in some ways, but in other ways, so, so significant. Listen to this. In Philippians 2, 7, it says this. It says, instead, it says, he gave up. This is Christ. This is what happened when he was born that night. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Over 2,000 years ago, Christ. Seems like a, to the non-Christian, it must seem like a strange story. Like this baby and, you know, there's a God and he's going to do it. Why would he do it that way, this manger and a baby and all of this? But you see, it's about this. It's about the king of all creation, the Lord of all creation. The one who was perfect and privileged and, and wore crown upon crown, he could... He could robe himself in whatever glory and majesty he wanted to. We don't think it's bizarre when we see the queen in, in, a, in when she puts on that crown and all the, the regalia. And it looks stunning. It looks amazing, doesn't it? And we don't think that's odd. 
when we see it. In fact, if you ever see it, there's something about it that's quite nice, isn't it? And you're like, wow, look at that. At the coronation, whenever the next king is, is coronated, we, we won't be there thinking, well, that's odd. Why is he not just turned up in jeans and T-shirts? We'll like, why has he put all that rigmarole on? We'll be like, no, that's the king. We would expect him. And, and, and this is the king, the king of kings, the Lord of all, the Lord of all creation of everything. And he laid it all aside. He gave it all up. He gave it all up for what? To take on the humble position of a slave, of a slave, to become the slave of the people he created, the slave of the likes of you and me, the reckless ones. For what? He was born as a human being when he appeared in human form, in human form. Amazing. This was the master plan. This was it. So the point of the message this morning is is really, really simple. It's just why. Why? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why is it so important? Why do we come and worship? Why do we love to worship? Why does this mean anything to us? Because those blue lights... In the rearview mirror, for us, the Christian, their salvation. For us, those lights represent salvation. You see, to the non-Christian, God, judgment, death is a fearful thing. It's a thing of great, great fear. Because they know, they know the idea of facing their maker is a petrifying thought. But to the Christian, to the Christian, he loves you. He loves us. He loves me. And no more is it a fearful thing. No more. Those lights, that that authority figure of Christ, now robed in righteousness, now crowned in all glory and all honor, is no more a fearful thing for us. For us, he is the Savior. He is our Savior. He is my Savior. He is my Savior. Is he your Savior? He's my Savior. He's my Savior. So I sing, I sing, and I praise him, and I glory in him, and I honor him, and I adore him. In fact, can we do, oh, come, let us adore him. Sorry, don't put it on your last minute. Can we do that? It's my favorite one. Yeah, come on. Come on, team, get on up. Come on up. I want to adore him. I want to praise him on my knees. I want to worship him. I want to praise him. I want to thank him. Because he is my savior. He paid the price for me. He gave it all up for me. That I could be free. To pay the price for all my recklessness. All of it. He saved some of you. And any that he hasn't, he's here to save you this morning because he loves you. He's here for you. He is the answer. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking that you're alone this morning. That what you're going through, no one else, no one else has ever been through it. Christ knows. Christ knows. He came as a human being so that he could experience, so that the enemy could tempt him 
that he would know what it's like to be tempted. But the Bible says there's no sin. There's no sin that's not common to all. But he's given us a way out. A way out this morning. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah.